make yourself comfortable because I will I guess I'll try to do the, the teaching before the preliminaries as I as is my custom and um, I will try to remember the teaching that Venerable Punsak asked me to teach which he taught seven years ago um, at a heart suture retreat um, a teaching on emptiness um, and once I try to remember and do the best I can then we'll just do a meditation we'll do the preliminaries right into the, the meditation um, so what I told him I did remember about this particular heart suture retreat was the very last thing he had said um, they're like not moving now um, the very last thing he said, which was that, um, you know, if you heard me say something and you were able to benefit as a result, don't thank me. Um, it's just, you know, my lips are flapping and there are vibrations. Don't, don't thank me. Um, you can ascribe it to the fact that it, you know, it's something that arose in your own mind. So, um, I guess with that as a basis, um, perhaps we could do some type of meditation which would try to get, get to the heart of that. And so I'll try to explain my understanding of what that means. Um, and I'm basically doing this completely off the top of my head. <laughs> um, but in applying my understanding of emptiness to to what he said it's kind of interesting because it also can be used it can be applied to the what I what we consider to be a kind of a misunderstanding that some people might have regarding phenomena that arises things that they see things that they hear things that they feel they touch they smell um, where they ascribe those things to be just projections arising in their mind uh, having no basis in reality and do it in such a way that the projections are coming entirely from them my mind they're just these empty projections it's just like they're just like a dream they're just like illusions and that sounds sort of valid um, but as I had addressed and as Venerable Punsak had addressed um, there's a big problem with that, which is that um, my existence, my mind, how I perceive my mind, whatever uh, arises, whatever mental factors arise that I call my mind, whatever it is that makes me respond when someone calls the name Warren, which is my name, um, and makes me think that that's me, those are all it, it equally projections. And therefore, everything that arises that make me, makes me think I exist, that makes me think I have a mind in the first place, that makes me think there is a self, that it's me. All of those things are just factors that are arising, and they're not one particular thing. There's no me, obviously, because we sense a me when we stub our toe, and when we stub our toe, the me is clearly located in the body. Something has happened to the body, we're centered and focused on the body, and the me is the body at that point. 
and when someone does something that upsets us, um, the me is located in our feelings because primarily we're reacting through negative feelings coupled with intention to get angry, coupled with losing patience, coupled with a sense of ill will, coupled with a number of other mental factors. Um, so that's just a collection of mental factors triggered by negative feelings. The first one was triggered by stubbing our toe, which was entirely physical. Um, my seeing my, my friend and having a conversation with them is something that's triggered by the perception of seeing them, by the perception of heal, hearing them, um, and by the mental processes involved in those things. And that's that sense that um, of, of their existence is no different than the sense of my own existence based on whatever is arising that makes me think of myself, makes me think that I exist, makes me think of me. So, um, so then when Venerable Punsak says, if you gained anything from this teaching, it's not, don't think of me. What he's saying, I think, is not that um, as far as you're concerned, I don't exist. As far as you're concerned, I'm just a projection in your mind. As far as you're concerned, you're creating your world. So go and create a beautiful world. That's not at all what he's saying. Um, what he's saying is this. Um, he's doing something, obviously, from his point of view. He's sitting there. He's talking. Um, he's moving his lips. There are vibrations, which he did mention. He said, I'm moving, I'm flapping my lips and there are vibrations. He's moving his lips in a very purposeful way. He's moving his lips and making these vibrations in such a way that, in a way that is calculated to achieve understand some kind of understanding which can benefit whatever group of people was there seven years ago during this Heart Sutra retreat. So maybe 15 people. Um, so he was doing something with the specific intent that the things that he was doing would be beneficial to 15 people. And those 15 people, each one of them, perceived something. They perceived shape, form, they perceived the vibrations are actually a type of physical perception since we, we hear sound by through vibrations actually interacting with part of our ear which caused that part of the ear to also vibrate which translates it into electrical activity which brings it to the brain, etc. So whatever someone's perceiving a venerable punsak, there's perception of something, there's shape and form, we're seeing it and then there's analysis of it, and then whatever the analysis is, whatever the discrimination is from what's arising, there's either going to arise some, some kind of wisdom, some kind of ideas that can move us forward on a spiritual path, some kind of, some kind of knowledge that will help us to, to analyze the nature of reality in this case, because it was the Heart Sutra. Um, so we are, our understanding is inextricably linked with the what with what our teacher in, in this case because we were relating to a teacher when we attend a teaching such as this our knowledge is inextricably linked with what our teacher was doing so why wouldn't we thank him so that's that's really the the crux of it then 
based on my thesis, we should, we should all thank Venerable Punsak, uh, not ourselves, because he did something that gave us this wisdom. So the question is, why would he say, don't thank me, thank yourself? Um, and I think the important thing to think about here is that if Venerable Punsak were speaking to uh, a chorus of, of frogs, um, they would not benefit from anything he said. And if he were speaking to a group of, um, of secular human athe humanist atheists who have no interest in Buddhism and don't believe in any enlightenment or any other state of mind which is escaped, which can escape from the ordinary states of mind that we know, um, they would probably not benefit either. They would just hear it as some kind of, you know, gobbledygook. So, something that's kind of a feel-good spiritual uh, talk which has no real benefit for anyone. But it's far better to go out and, you know, help somebody in a concrete way than to work on perfecting your mind and helping them in a more substantial way, in my opinion. Um, so they wouldn't hear anything that would be that's beneficial either. Um, if if he gave the same speech to to five children, even if they were five children of from very devout Buddhist families, um, and were brought up beautifully, um, there there would be no benefit either, because they don't currently have the capacity to to benefit from the things he's saying. They just wouldn't be able to process it. They haven't reached that stage of concrete reasoning where they could actually understand what he's saying. Um, if, on the other hand, he spoke to 15 people who have shown an interest in the, the Dharma and have studied it and are open to it and uh, attempt to live Dharma according to Dharma, at least to some extent, attempt to practice the things that the Buddha said that one should take up, attempt to give up the things that the Buddha said that we should give up. If someone is really um, engaging in a in a serious practice or in an attempt to do a serious practice and that person attends the same teaching then then what arises in their mind may be something that's extremely helpful and not only that what is arising in their mind is arguably something that exists as potential in in all of our minds so it's not that Venerable Punsak is providing a new idea. What he's doing is he's providing the, the stimulus where we're able to gain an understanding of things that we already have the potential to understand. Because if we are able to, if there was some device that could cause us to go into a state of meditation and we were given certain instructions, we would, we would all be able to uh, achieve Deeper, under, deeper and deeper understanding into how things really exist if we're told to examine them carefully. And that's what he did during this Heart Sutra uh, teaching. And specifically, um, what I do remember that he taught us was uh, to examine how self could exist. First, we did a number of preliminary activities such as purification, such as asking for blessings from the teacher, various other activities designed to make us ready um, to, to receive the teachings and to meditate on the teachings. But after that, basically we were turning our attention to how can something exist? How can, how can a me exist? Where can I find a me? Can I find it in the body? Um, and then the, this effort to, to actually locate it. And then, additionally, he taught 
um, about whether or not whatever we find can exist as that thing. If we do find an I, is an I really an I? Is it one thing? Is there anything that is really an I? Or does it have to be, by, by necessity, a collection of things that are not an I? And if they're a collection of things that are not an I, then what is it that calls it an I? Obviously, it's that organizing principle in our mind that needs to make sense of things, because clearly an I is made up of trillions or billions of, of cells, and clearly each cell is made up of trillions or billions of atoms, and each atom is made up of many subatomic particles, and you could take the smallest one and with enough energy smash it, and it would be composed of other particles, and each one has a left and right side, and you could just go on forever. Um, therefore, that meditation, which is called the one and many, examines whether things can exist as one thing, like self, or whether or not that's made up of many things that are not self, and then it looks at each of those components, and are any of those components things that can actually exist on their own? Um, and in examining that, you find that there, there is nothing that, make, that could possibly make up my body. There is nothing that could make up my mind. There is nothing that could make up whatever that sense of me is that could be found to truly exist as that. So, so those are some of the things that, um, that he taught. And, um, and I always remember that, that statement that he made at the end. You know, and I, I, always, I always come back to it, I guess, because it, it places a lot of faith in, in us, in the fact that we, when you encounter the Dharma, if you practice it seriously, um, and you look for teachers who can, who can teach properly, that you're basically taking, taking your untamed mind and you are establishing a kind of a spiritual career by which you're, you tame it and by which you take steps forward and you meet teachers along the way, you meet spiritual practitioners along the way, but you're really the one doing the work, and whatever someone's presenting to you, you are taking that information and making it useful. And you're drawing upon the, the vast wisdom, that potential wisdom that we all have. Um, so, I yes, I did thank Venerable Punsak in my mind, whether he asked me to or not, but also, I, I recognize that, that I have a capacity to, to actually hear teachings on the Dharma or read teachings on the Dharma because of what I've done as well. So I think we should think about that. So, so let me think, what meditation shall we do? And I do apologize that, as I said, I, I, have, I have prepared nothing, and I'm basically, this is basically a stream of consciousness um, talk. and meditation. I think then what we shall do is try to actually think about what it means to hear a teaching and where is the meaning of that teaching coming from? Can meaning come from another source? Um, is there meaning in the actual vibrations that uh, that caused parts of our ear to vibrate and produce electrical current. Is there meaning in that? Um, it's a certain pattern of vibrations. Because if you look at that, you can say, it's just a pattern of vibrations. It's just air being compressed. That's what vibrations are. So it's waves 
It's, it's columns of air being compressed. And somehow, as a result of that, um, we move closer to our, our spiritual goal. Um, and so I will try to lead, into, lead us into that through the preliminaries. Um, and if that's not particularly understandable or digestible for anyone, um, you can choose to do any meditation on emptiness that you know how to do. And the, there is one in particular that you could do, which is the one I mentioned about the one and many. Um, you can look at any component of your mind that you think represents your mind or you think is your mind. And you can really just just look at it, just watch it, and watch it arise, and think about whether or not that is something that is truly real, independent, able to stand on its own, always the same, since if it's changing, it's not one thing, um, only has one part, has no, is not made up of parts, is, is just a unity, a singularity, is there anything like that that, that is me? Um, is there anything like that that is mine? <clears throat> or is it many components, and are each of the components able to be identified that way either? Are any of them many ones, or the many singularities, or is each one of them also made up of infinite numbers of components? So we can. I think that might be the best um, meditation for most of us. I'm going to sit here and try to figure out what Venerable Punsaksa. Uh, since I've wondered about it for seven years. So let's let's start by getting comfortable. Um, if you were sitting and um, sitting a while, you might want to stretch your legs because, let's see, it's 7.34. So we will meditate till about 8.25, about 50 minutes. So stretch your legs, get the oxygen flowing in there, the blood flowing, and then take a comfortable seat. Um, has everyone here meditated before at least at least once? Is there anyone who's never meditated, like has no clue how to meditate? Good. Um, and has everyone taken at least one teaching from Venerable Punsak? One has come to at least one class? No? Okay, well. Um, so let me say a few things then, because what I've I've been asked not to talk so much <laughs> in guiding these meditations and the way he used to teach it a long time ago was he would do it in great detail he would how to sit, how to put your arms and lately he just says check your arms, check your legs but if you're not familiar with anything he's taught I'll just say it in the beginning which is that your legs should be in whatever position is comfortable for you but it should be comfortable and stable both so comfort is great but if there's a feeling of you'll have to keep Moving, moving them to keep them in that position, or you'd have to put any effort in to keep them in that position, and that's that's not ideal. So, you should find a position that you know you can hold for 50 minutes, um, and that you will not move under any compulsion uh, to do so. So, something that's firm, stable, but feels good, it's comfortable. Um, you know it's comfortable when after sitting there you start to feel slightly more relaxed. Um, if you're sitting in a comfortable position, then you'll start to feel a certain sense of relaxation. 
and that particular part of your body can you can just forget about it and move on. So legs, lotus, half lotus, um, or Burmese style with one kind of one leg in front of the other um, is fine. Um, or sitting in a chair is, is fine. Lying on your back is fine if you're um, if you don't fall asleep. Um, the next thing to look at is your arms, and they should be um, either on your knees. You can have them like this, or you could have them one palm um, on top of the other, like this. Um, generally, the right on top of the left in the Tibetan tradition, but in the Hindu tradition, it's, it's reversed. So. I think the Zen tradition, it's left on top of right. Um, and the thumb should be lightly touching if, you're, if you have one palm on top of the other. Arms not too close to your body, and, um, but not too far away, which would distort your posture. Then um, your back should be naturally straight, but not artificially so. And just try to keep your back kind of squarely over your trunk, squarely over the bottom part of your body. Keep your neck aligned with your back, neck and head and back all kind of aligned, all squarely over the body, and try to find a position where it would almost, you can almost imagine it staying there if you fell asleep. If you literally fell asleep, they would not move, you'd not be bent over in one way, left or right or forward or back. So find something that's, that's stable and naturally straight. And then the eyes can be open, closed, or half open. Um, and if you have them partly open or fully open, just kind of lose your focus and they should be slightly down, downturned, gazing towards the tip of the nose, but completely out of focus so you're not distracted. And then the tongue should be in its natural position right behind the, um, or right at the top part of your um, palate, just above the top row of teeth. Facial muscles relaxed. And then just kind of sense your body and see if it's starting to feel more, generally more relaxed, more comfortable. And any pleasurable sensation you might have. You kind of want to, as you meditate, have a sensation that you're drifting into greater relaxation. You always want to be moving towards that. And then, as you're becoming more comfortable, then think for a moment about the meditation we're going to do, which is a meditation on emptiness, and why we want to meditate on emptiness. Because by understanding emptiness, we would be able to truly transform our mind if there's any truth to what the Buddha's talked about emptiness, it's the key, it's the very essence of how all things can exist, how they can all appear. And we absolutely need that knowledge to achieve our spiritual goal, to be able to help other, to be able to truly help other beings. So this is a very important meditation and even if we only end up with kind of an intellectual approximation or just a lot of mental work without any 
apparent results. The fact that we're meditating on this object and thinking about it and considering it and spending an hour doing that instead of something else is an incredibly important event. And every moment that we can spend meditating and spend working towards our spiritual goal is incredibly holy, incredibly important. So we should also allow that sense of importance to imbue itself throughout our body. Help it should help relax the body, it should help facilitate deeper states of relaxation in the body, in the breath, and in the mind. So always be aware of that. Be aware of why you decided it was important to meditate, to perhaps study the Dharma seriously, to practice. And then just catch yourself breathing in a very casual way without making any effort to breathe. We don't need to, that we breathe naturally. So just observe the breath, the natural inflow and outflow of air at the tip of the nose. And just be aware of the difference in how it feels coming in and then going out and try to locate it in that exact place. As you breathe in, be aware that you're breathing in. And as you breathe out, maintain an awareness of the out-breath. And if there are distractions, just gently bring yourself back to this task. starting with the out-breath and continuing through the uh, in-breath and with that as one cycle of breath count 11 cycles maintaining awareness of the out-breath and in-breath and if you lose count start at number one all over again
can remain aware of any changes occurring in your body, your breath, your mind, especially any sense of deepening relaxation. You want to ride that, that sense of relaxation even deeper. And any pleasurable feelings, note them as well. As you relax more, you may feel a sense of bliss or pleasure. Don't hold to it, but just be aware of it. And then once more, bring up your motivation. First, the most short-term motivation you might have for being here. Maybe just to relax after a, a difficult day. And then try to make it the highest motivation that you can. The motivation to achieve your ultimate spiritual goal, the motivation to help other sentient beings. And with that highest motivation in mind, then think about the means for achieving such a difficult goal. How is it possible to transcend this, this ordinary mind that imprisons us every moment and that forces us to experience things falsely every moment as well. And think about the kind of teacher who would be able to lead you to that goal, it would be someone who had achieved it themselves, someone who had started in the same position you were in and overcome all delusion and achieved a mind that saw things as they truly exist and a mind that's able to translate that experience into teachings that have the capacity to liberate us and a being that has the patience to teach us that has a deep love for all sentient beings a deep desire to help them and completely tireless willing to teach the same thing again and again to students of all levels And in the space in front of you, about one prostration distance in front of you, or three, three or four feet. And at the level of your forehead, between your eyebrows, see and more importantly, start to feel a sense of a presence there. Presence. in the form, in a form entirely made of light. And even if, even if you're not seeing anything specifically, just 
Just sense it in that area. Perhaps a little bit of warmth, vibration, energy. And bring whatever conviction you have, whatever shred of conviction you may have, bring that into your mind, that this entity that is appearing is in fact your teacher, is appearing because you asked her or him to appear. This is a being who has achieved the very goal that you seek and who has at his or her disposal the very means to teach you to achieve the same goal. And this being entirely made of light, glowing like a thousand suns, smiling happily and waiting to teach you. And with that in mind and knowing that the very means for your own enlightenment, for your own ultimate achievement of wisdom is seated right in front of you, in your mind, prostrate to the teacher. And then in your mind also consider the nature of such a being, a being whose mind has turned completely correct, who understands reality, who sees things as they truly are, who has no delusion, who is able to teach all sentient beings, take refuge in that, the fact that some being or beings have actually achieved that state. That's refuge in the teacher. There are enlightened beings whose only desire is to teach us and to help free us from our own suffering, and to protect us and to guide us. And then thinking about what this teacher has experienced and what they've taught, and think about the ability of these teachings to liberate our mind, these instructions, meditations, practices. And take refuge in that second jewel, the Dharma, as having the power when practiced properly to lead us to that goal that we seek. And thirdly, the community of teachers, bodhisattvas, who correctly teach the words of the Buddha and who help each of us according to our abilities, take refuge in their ability to employ these liberative teachings skillfully so that we can achieve the maximum benefit from them. Having taken refuge in the Three Jewels, then feeling immense gratitude that the very means of our liberation is in front of us, make offerings to our teacher, offer things the teacher would enjoy, whether 
they're things we own, whether they're the sky, the moon, stars, or something we've just dreamed up, something specially for them. And we can also offer our own practice, our merit, all of our negativities, because the teacher experiences all of them equally as blissful objects. And having made heartfelt offerings, then consider our current state of mind, which is presumably for all of us still full of delusion, still full of obscurations. We don't see things exactly as they truly exist. And think of some reasons why that might be. Think of specific actions that we may have engaged in in, say, the past 24 hours that hold us back. Jealousy, hatred, even just feeling negative thoughts towards another being. Whatever it is, think of some specific act and think about how it was unskillful and after experiencing a genuine sense of of regret perhaps something like losing one's temper for a few seconds then ask for refuge or go for refuge once more in the three jewels which can provide the means to overcome such negativities and promise to yourself for some period of time not to repeat this particular act make it a completely realistic time frame something you can definitely keep and then also think of something that might counteract it perhaps just a nice thought about someone or perhaps just a smile something you can definitely do and then take joy in the fact that you've taken at least some small step to begin counteracting all of the negativity that we constantly engage in and that beginning to move in the other direction beginning to move in that upward spiral rather than a downward spiral of negative actions is what we need to do in order to successfully practice the Dharma and then consider all sentient beings and imagine that they're all arrayed in this room imagine the room is, is vast vast enough to hold every sentient being and rejoice in every positive act engaged in by every single sentient being by every mother, by every teacher 
by every being that helps another. And just take great joy in each one of those compassionate, loving actions. Especially those of teachers who who teach the Dharma, who spend their lives imparting the Dharma to others. And seeing the teacher still seated in front of us, come to understand that, that this being is connected to all enlightened beings. And ask the teacher to remain in this realm, to teach us, to teach all sentient beings how to be truly happy permanently, how to remove all suffering, however long it takes. And then being aware of the practices we've just done, understand that they've generated a certain amount of positive energy that we can use for the meditation that we're about to do. So dedicate the merit from these preliminaries to the meditation that we're going to do in a few minutes. And then once again, engaging the teacher. Ask the teacher to come to the top of your head and watch as the teacher rises up into the air, rotates in the same direction that you're seated and gently moves down just a hand's breadth above the crown of your head, still shining incredibly brightly and then further both see and feel white light, white liquid uh, light flowing from the teacher's heart in all directions and and entering you through the crown of your head and feel it as it washes away all obstructions to the meditation we're going to do. You could visualize them as black smoke or soot and just feel the light just pushing them right out of our body, whether it's through our pores or down through the soles of our feet into the earth, or just spontaneously eliminating them on contact and just feel our bodies being filled with this white, brilliant, liquid light. and continue to ask the teacher for blessings. Ask the teacher to grant us the wisdom necessary to really penetrate reality, to understand emptiness, to understand what how what the true nature is of the things that arise in our mind. and then see and feel liquid blue light 
flowing down from the teacher's heart, flowing into our own heart, which is our where our mind is, and feel it changing our mind. Feel, feel wisdom flowing into our mind. Feel the capacity to understand and analyze. Just sense that the teacher is giving us the tools that we will need for this meditation. And they're all just flowing into our mind in the form of blue, brilliant blue liquid light. And then in order to make this meditation even more effective, in order to ensure that we'll work even harder, think about what we could do if we were able to achieve this goal. Think about all the suffering beings out there, all those beings to our left and the right, most of them are constantly making bad choices, engaging in acts which simply harm them more and end up suffering even more as a result. Most of them are in a downward spiral. And think about how we could reverse that process and then see and feel again red light coming down from the teacher's heart through the crown of our head and feel it moving into our throat area the back of our throat and as this light collects in that area feel a growing sense of concern of compassion for all suffering beings and a desire to take concrete steps to help them including the ultimate step of gaining an understanding which will allow us to do that so Feel this light coming into our throat chakra and collecting there. And then feel our body filled with this white liquid light, heart full of blue light and throat full of red light. And feel a sense of readiness for what the teacher is able to bring to our mind and see the teacher as the messenger that brings the ultimate truth to our mind and that messenger is just inches from our body right now and what we really want is that message the message of ultimate the ultimate nature of mind so feel a desire to be inseparable from, from our teacher and from that message, from that understanding. And then sense that the teacher feels exactly the same way. And so you see and feel the teacher shrink into a tiny point of light and then enter through the crown of our head, moving down through our central channel to our heart where it enters our heart and merges with our mind so that our mind 
and the teacher's mind are inseparable. And from this point, then meditate on the nature of self by looking for it first in the body and thinking about whether there's any entire body, part of the body that could be called self. If it was your toe and you, you stubbed your toe and you felt that yourself was there, then if that toe were cut off, would you have no self? And thinking that way, just examine the body and try to imagine anything that could be the body that could contain self where you could find self. And when you're satisfied regarding the body, then move to mind and any component of mind that you could possibly call self. Our feelings, self, If we had a moment where we had no feelings, would we lo completely lose any sense of self? Are they necessary? Is consciousness alone self? So examine these things, or you could examine the earlier statement of Venerable Punsak, if you wish, and I will cease talking for a while.
Just one bit of advice that Venerable Ponsaka has given when you are looking for self and you don't find it in a particular place, don't overanalyze it at all. It's when you conclude it's not that, move on to something else. Move on to a part of that or a completely different system. Um, so don't come up, don't theorize, don't intellectualize it. If it's not that, then look, look elsewhere.
to be aware of whatever state of mind you're currently experiencing and let go all of the analysis you may be doing and just just relax into whatever degree of tranquility you're experiencing at this moment and just stay there for a moment or two so let go of all the effort And then once again thinking of beings that are suffering greatly, are deluded. And wishing that they could experience the same degree of tranquility, at least for a few moments, so they wouldn't have to experience such terrible suffering. And wish that all suffering beings could enjoy this degree of tranquility at least. And just send that wish out to all of them. Especially those that are suffering from hunger, thirst, disease. Children stuck in the middle of terrible wars, famines. And then dedicate the merit that you've achieved through your efforts to your spiritual goal and start to deepen your breathing and slowly become aware of your body starting from the top of your head moving down towards your toes until you're aware of your entire body. And then when you're ready, you can open your eyes, relax, move your legs. I'm not sure if that meditation topic was really clear, but I hope everyone at least gave it a try and benefited to some degree. So thank you very much.